0: Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. This is episode 51. And today we are talking about configuration without YAML. And we're chatting with Zach. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Um, you know, we, we chatted a little bit before the podcast, but uh, you've got a cool blog called Self-Hosted Home.
1: Yeah, so I, I was interested in all this um, home automation, but also just, you know, hosting your own software, um, self-hosted apps and all that sort of stuff. So, um, decided to make a little blog about it and, and try to you know work through some problems and post solutions and and look at home automation and, and all that sort of stuff wicked That's yeah, awesome.
2: it's really cool yeah um there's so much on your blog that we'll have to like break down with you in a bit as well but i'm really excited to pick your brains about how you're using home assistant and how your smart home set up. Mm-hmm. so we'll get into that yeah
0: This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily and securely access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that also supports the Home Assistant project. The configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates,
2: or any YAML. So we should also just mention uh, previously in uh, the previous episode of our podcast, we had a little server that we got everyone to complete. Just want to say a big shout out to everyone that uh, took the time to fill out that survey. We're still going through all the uh, responses and then we'll uh, make some changes. Uh, thanks for all the feedback, both positive and negative. We we really appreciate it as well. And also big shout out to everyone that volunteered and, and shared their Discord usernames so we'll get in touch and hopefully we'll have some more interesting people to come on the podcast in the future too
0: yeah i mean it, it it's awesome to see how many people actually came uh, and replied back to this so so thank you to everybody and yeah it, it is it is taking us because we are actually reading through the responses and such so it is it is taking us uh, a little bit <laughs> to get through it so thank you Anyways, in terms of what's new, so Paulus pinged me the other day actually and uh, mentioned, hey, you might wanna you might wanna talk about this. So it, this is definitely something that's a little exciting. If you haven't played with it yet, uh, it's out on the beta already. But they've been working on a new UI for HasCloud to manage Google entities, um, and these Google entities actually only show entities that Google supports. So as in, if you're trying to get Google Assistant or Google Home to work with uh, specific entities that are in Home Assistant, uh, essentially there's a new UI that just has, uh, that's basically got an on and off uh, to say if you want to, if you want Google Home to discover those entities. So that was, uh, I actually played with it the other day. It was actually uh, pretty neat, works
2: uh, works decently, I mean. is that from the configure? So when you've set up uh, Nebuchadnezzar Cloud, you'll go in and you'll have you know the option to enable Google Assistant and the Amazon Echo. Does that then extend? I think uh, for my Amazon Echo, it has uh, the devices that are exposed to her. Can you? So I'm guessing now for Google Assistant, you can actually go in and choose to remove those devices or say yes, I want this fan enabled in Google Assistant. I want this light. To be shown in Google Assistant uh, on an per entity basis. Yeah, exactly. And and instead of doing it through the instead of doing it through the U, uh through
0: the sorry through the uh, YAML config, you're actually doing it through the UI. Um. So ah, right. Yeah. So so it's you know you've just got the little uh, not the radio buttons but the the little switches to say yep. on or off and uh,
1: whatever you want you just set to on and whatever you don't want you set to off. And do you do this on your Home assistant, your local home assistant, or do you do it through the Nabukasa website? You do it through the local home assistant. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, and oh, uh,
0: awesome. yeah, and and also any anything that needs uh, a pin to unlock. Uh, so let's say, for example, locks or or you know the covers, so window window covers, garage doors. You can disable two FA for those if you need to, um, which only right now works for English, and then hopefully uh, a little later uh, they'll have some other. Uh, some, some other uh, languages there as well, so it's starting
2: out with just English though. okay, similar to how Amazon likes to slowly release features per region, which I guess is similar to like they learn only release things in the US English as opposed to the British English, and yeah, all that. exactly, exactly. So I'm guessing the these sort of changes with the Google Assistant is sort of comes into play with uh, some more changes that have come in with zero point uh, nine four. Home Assistant's starting to move the core configuration of Home Assistant away from YAML. Uh, So from 0.94, most of the core configuration can actually be stored in the storage folder. So Mm -hmm. this means that if you are installing Home Assistant for the first time, you can actually have a very uh, basic setup of Home Assistant running without touching a line of YAML. And this is something that I think, Uh, the team have mentioned that they want to get right when moving towards, and especially looking forward to version 1.0 of Home Assistant, is that, you know, everyday users shouldn't have to need to know what YAML is or even touch YAML. So this will include settings, you know, like your location, your metric units, as opposed to kilograms or uh, pounds. They'll actually be stored in the storage folder and can be all configured through the user interface. But if you were using Home Assistant before zero point nine four and you have those settings in your YAML, they will actually override your uh, the storage folder. So uh, YAML is like the the super way to do it, uh, and it will override the user interface. But if you want to step out and and start this new way and, and get rid of the the YAML, you can remove that and then set it all up in the user interface itself
0: yeah that's interesting it it's
2: so so i'm'm I'm, I'm personally
0: I'm a little torn right so somebody who is uh known and loved yaml for since I've used home assistant <laughs> um, and it, it's one of those things where its I'm like okay so I, the other day so the last let's call it the last week or so I've actually been uh trying to update my home assistant instance and just doing some you know doing some other automation things like that using using Lovelace more uh or, or updating Lovelace and so on And and you know and I'm I'm still I still love YAML but I I was actually thinking to myself like okay do I move everything to wherever I can do I move to the front end right so just remove the YAML and rebuild it in the front end I don't know I it's it's to me I'm still a little faster at YAML I think right rather than Mm, because because for me it's a matter of if I can't find something Command F and blah 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 right or Control F and just search for discovery, yeah. whatever it is, but you know, in the UI, maybe I'm a little sore, but, but I mean, I, I do, I love the fact that we are going to, you know, the more UI first approach, right? So
1: yeah, I'm a little torn. Yeah. I think for me, I, I'm kind of the same way. I've, I enjoy kind of doing the YAML, but I've got more of a technical background, so it doesn't bother me as much. And no. I think if just in the, you know, recently the last five, 10 years, you know, there's been kind of a DevOps movement where mm-hmm. you treat your infrastructure as code. That was like a motto of yeah. DevOps. And yeah. mm-hmm. if you think about your home automation platform as the infrastructure as your house, it's like, okay, this probably could be version controlled. You know, you can you can treat it as real code and I yeah. know it's just a configuration. But yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of like that methodology. And so I like the YAML stuff, but as long as it keeps uh, being the golden source that overrides things in the UI... Maybe that's okay, like in this case. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. So I,
0: I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the UI still. Um, yeah. I, I do, I do, I, I love the fact that we're going UI first because, as as much as I said what I just said, I, I, I want to be an average user more than a power user. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know that sounds really stupid, but, <laughs> but, but, but uh, you know, it, it, it's it's supposed to be easy. Right. And, and that's, I think that's key. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and I get it YAML, uh, YAML, YAML is not difficult. Uh, personally, I think it took me probably about 10 minutes to get the gist, but it's also, you know, but that's also because I am, I do think technically I, my, my, you know, brain is wired to do that. And, and, you know, if not everybody is right. And, and if home automation has to hit kind of mass scale and that, that needs to be, front and forward, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree. But on that note, so Home Assistant's actually going to have a new discovery engine. I'm sure if users of Home Assistant are familiar, um, it's got the Home Assistant itself has the ability to automatically discover devices on your network. So things like Google Cast and Philips Hue bulbs, that kind of thing. The underlying library used to be called NetDisco for it. And uh, as of this release, so 0.94, it's starting to be phased out. And, uh, and it's going to be replaced with a new library, right? So essentially what will happen is that allows more devices, uh, more components to be discovered and uh, hopefully makes it a little easier in the future as well. Um, also, as you add things, so we were talking about the whole, you know, moving UI first. Um, when, when Home Assistant discovers something, it's not just going to add it in there. Um uh, it'll actually the UI will actually give you a notification saying, Hey, do you want to add this? and then you have to actually approve it. So that's a great way of controlling what actually comes into Home Assistant, what doesn't, and so on. So certain components, things like Philips Hue, uh HomeKit, uh IKEA Tach free, so those those components have started migrating to to this new library.
2: Yeah, so they're part of the new configuration that you'll have to add. So I think if you're using uh, default config, which is yeah. that new setting was added a few releases ago, that'll include it. But uh, yeah, uh, SSDP is the new library and zero Conf are the new libraries that are handling those uh, configurations and auto-discovery.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's... there's. I, I actually think this is actually pretty cool. So uh, I've, I've always had issues with the other uh, the old library working for me, essentially. (laughs) Hopefully this is a little better. So I'll have to play with that.
2: And in this release 0.94, uh, is the first release that's going to start deprecating Python version 3.5.3. So as of August 1st, you will no longer be able to use uh, that version of Python. So, uh, it's a good opportunity to start thinking about upgrading if you're still one of those users running an older version of Python which I'm guessing is probably not that many considering uh, I think Home Assistant now has stats on the average users on what version of Python they're using. And there's probably a security reason behind it as well.
0: Yeah. And and I'm sure there's a supportability reason behind it too, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, what's new outside of everything we just talked about? <laughs> so automations and scripts. Uh, that are created in the UI now can be deleted. Um, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's been a long-lasting uh, request, I think, and uh, it's here. So for right. everyone asking for it,
2: congrats. <laughs> um, and device trackers. I actually didn't think this was. Uh, I thought it would already been there, but uh, device trackers are now getting um, upgraded. Uh, they can now have their entity IDs uh, renamed. Uh, basically through the entity registry that Home Assistant's got. I thought this would have been one of those first components that have supported for a long time, but no, apparently uh, the device trackers uh, were sort of left out of that movement. But now moving forward, you can now go into your Home Assistant UI and update the entity IDs of device trackers. So cool to see that that's getting some love.
0: Yeah, I, I I learned that one the hard way uh last week. So. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that, that it wasn't supported. <laughs> so, uh IBM Watson Texas speech. So, uh, if you're not familiar, IBM has the uh it's it's essentially their cloud. I want I want to call it an AI platform, I think it is.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I would say it is.
0: Yeah, so it, it's it's that's the platform that you know, was a contestant on Jeopardy and so on and so forth. Uh, So IBM Watson's text-to-speech engine is now supported in Home Assistant. So that's
2: kind of cool. I I remember when Home Assistant didn't have that many text-to-speech platforms. It may have even been only Google that was supported. And when Google sort of, they started restricting the Translate API Mm -hmm. and there had to be hacks to get around it. I really appreciate now that there's so many options for a text-to-speech component, just in case, you know, one of them goes away or whatever you're using, there's now multiple options. Yeah. All right. Uh, Solax solar inverters. So they are now supported in Home Assistant. This is actually really cool if you've got solar panels. They can now be exposed with their Wi-Fi module to Home Assistant, and you can see the power production, your battery levels, and even how much uh, power you're being fed back into the grid. Uh, so if you're lucky person with solar panels and you have that inverter uh and you want to integrate it into home system that'll be cool there's be some cool automations you could do as well um it's available so those um products are available in the us uk Ireland, and australia so that's cool but i'm guessing if you're seeing you know i'm feeding a lot of electricity back into the grid maybe i'll turn the dishwasher on and and use electricity for that instead so yeah some really cool automation ideas with that data
0: Oh, that's awesome, and and you can keep your, uh, you know, your energy provider honest too, right? Because there there is a billing component to it when you, well, typically, I don't yeah. know how every country is, but I know where I am. Um, I, I as far as I know, I don't have panels, but as far as I know, when you give back to the grid, they pay you, right? So
2: yeah, you get a discount. Well, yeah, you never, at least here, that you they charge you more than what they'll pay you, like a, the put back in the system, so. Sometimes right. it might be more cost efficient for you to use electricity than give it back to the company.
1: Wow,
0: that's unfortunate.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> you, you could uh, probably store this data too in you know db or one of those things. You oh, know, definitely. And, totally. And yeah. View your you know at certain parts of the year or parts of the day. When's your production's the best, and make some decisions mm. based on that.
2: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Feed it into IBM Watson and and get them to do some artificial (laughs) intelligence on the Yeah, (laughs)
0: That's right. That's right. Man, IBM should pay us. We're starting to just uh, do sponsorships now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyways, uh, the Azure Event Hub component. So uh, you can now track home assistant events into Azure uh, Event Hub. Uh, similar how InfluxDB, where you can export some of your home assistant history and put it into influx. Uh, you can do the same thing with Azure event hub. It's kind of cool. So it's almost like almost acting as a syslog collector, right? And, uh, where you can just dump all of your logs from, uh, from has and say, Hey, you know what, here's, here's all the events. Well, not, not logs, but event logs. Right. And, uh, here's all the, here's all the events that's happened and then, uh, you know, you can do whatever based on that, right? Build your own histograms or whatever.
2: Mm. So, so Ron, you've used a bit of Azure before. Is this something that you would consider moving over to? Me personally, no. Um, I
0: I would actually rather it be on Influx mm-hmm. here, and and yeah, like it's it's I, I can see why people would want it there, right? If you have one repository for all of your stuff. Yeah. Makes sense. Right. Uh, in my case personally, that's not the case. I, I, I actually keep everything typically, uh, within influx or, or something like that. And, and right now I actually had to reset a bunch of stuff. So it's actually all natively wherever it is. So in home assistant's case, it's in home assistant. Um, but yeah, no, nothing.
1: Uh, it, 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 I think for, um, Maybe for people running on a Raspberry Pi, where you don't want to run an Influx database, yep. but you still want to get all this nice data somewhere, this is kind of a good stepping stone to running your own, you know, InfluxDB mm. database. It's like, okay, just dump it into this, you know, this cloud service. And it's it's also I don't know about for you guys, but like I, I yeah, I, I dump my stuff in InfluxDB, but it's not something I need that's like mission critical in terms no. of. So it's kind of. It's it's low risk to kind of use the cloud in this case, maybe to to back up your data there, because it's not like you probably don't have automations based off of this stuff. So yeah, exactly. Um, and and like you said, it's in
0: in my case, I don't have that. Like I'm not running home assistant on on a raspberry pi. I'm running it on, I yeah. guess, <laughs> like literally a physical server that I have from my lab. Right. So it's it it doesn't doesn't really uh, yeah it, it doesn't make sense in every um, situation, not that it, but not to say it doesn't make sense at all, right? It definitely does make sense.
2: Speaking of Raspberry Pis, there's also a new ability in this release for the remote Raspberry Pi component. So if you've got sensors connected to a Raspberry Pi through the GPIO pins, you can now put that Raspberry Pi anywhere in your house and then use the, inter- uh, the Wi Fi connection to remotely connect to those pins through Home Assistant. So this is Mm. actually a really cool uh, little addition. I think there's going to be a lot of use cases for this. Actually, Zach, we were talking before offline um, that you've got your little uh, presence for your chair using uh, an ultrasonic sensor. I'm guessing that's using like a Raspberry Pi or or something similar. Would you be able to like use this, like access that directly in Home Assistant now using those Yeah. that's
1: interesting yeah yeah i'm using um esp8266 node mcu Mm -hmm. to control that that ultrasonic sensor i'd be reluctant to move it to a raspberry pi just because it's it's kind of nice that it's just a node mcu and it you know it it's kind of a single purpose thing i don't have to keep updated you know yeah and stuff um i don't have to worry about the sd card you know failing or something like that um it's just a, a single use kind of thing but uh, yeah, this is this seems pretty interesting. Do you guys know how how the um, interface happens? I mean, is it over MQTT or how does it communicate with this other
2: Raspberry Pi? Uh, I'm I'm not sure. Like on the the actual internals of it. Uh, so the Home Assistant component is literally just the like I, I believe there's a GPIO component for Home Assistant. From this release, all you have to do is you just set up your config the exact same way, and then you just add the MAC address of the Raspberry Pi. So that tells me it's got something to do with the uh, like the, the local network as opposed to MQTT. Right. So I'm guessing it will connect directly to the Pi based on that MAC address, uh, probably over HTTP or, or something like that.
1: Okay, so there has to be something specific on this remote Raspberry Pi running? Like, does Home Assistant uh, run yes. on the remote? Yeah, okay. there is,
2: actually. Yeah, there's There's some software that needs to be running. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and then that'll expose it to Home Assistant. All right. Uh, on to some breaking changes. So there's
0: some changes to the sun component. Essentially, the component itself is updating its attributes, uh, like elevation and azimuth and such, every 30 seconds. So what that, what that results in is, especially if you're using something like a Raspberry Pi, uh, that's a lot of rights to your SD card or recorder uh, databases or really and recorder databases <laughs> so what's happening is to kind of improve that a little bit home assistant is only updating the sun attributes as it needs so you're going down to 241 a day uh, instead of 1441 a day so that's uh, quite a bit of a drop right which yeah which which I I totally get and especially if you're not moving uh, I don't know if if that really makes much of a difference why your elevation and azimuth would change right so yeah um, there's a there's a pull request by uh, Penny Wood so if you need any more uh, explanation because I did a pretty poor job of it right now (laughs) there's a fantastic one of it there uh, in the uh, in the actual pull request which we'll put in the show notes
2: yeah actually went into a a lot of detail on the reasoning behind and Angles, mm. sun angles, and all that. So definitely check it out if you're interested. But uh, it may just—I think it'll be technically a, a breaking change because if you're expecting that update every 30 seconds for the absolute minute minute of that angle changing, you might uh, you might need to just make an account for that. But I think otherwise, uh, this breaking change shouldn't affect too many. It'll just re- reduce the number of writes to an SD card. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I I, I think that's great. Uh,
2: The DoorBird component has a few breaking changes uh, this week. Uh, Monitored conditions is now deprecated, uh, which is being replaced by DoorBird events. Uh, Tokens are now required on a per device basis. So if you're running multiple DoorBird cameras or doorbells, you'll need to have a token for each individual device. And the device schedules are now managed through the DoorBird app because you're now having to use the events from DoorBird, and you won't be able to use them through Home Assistant. So if you are using the DoorBird component, there are some changes that you'll just need to make to your config before you upgrade.
0: And one that's gonna, I suspect is gonna affect quite a few people would be Plex. Hey everyone, I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored. So you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. So um, I I did notice, though, it did fail pretty gracefully, so it gave me an error in the UI going, hey, you should probably change these things. Um, That's good. Yeah, so I I was actually like, hey, that's kind of cool. So... Conf include non clients, uh, so which is one of the uh, one of the attributes you can uh, put in your configuration. That has been removed. So essentially, its purpose was to say, "Hey, do you want to include all uh, Plex sessions and clients, or just uh, the non-client ones?"
2: Uh, so but I think it was for like old TVs or apps that don't really support the native Plex API yet.
0: Exactly. So instead of this, uh, now it's 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 just trying to pull everything in. Uh, there's also a couple of others. Uh, use custom entity IDs and entity namespace that have been removed. So by default, um, everything will be prefixed with Plex so just so you don't have any uh, collisions in the entity names.
2: Yeah, that's good. I remember my living room Plex and my uh, play bar from Sonos would always get conflicting. Mm -hmm. entity ids as soon as i would restart home assistant like they would try and grab the same entity id so you know one depending on which order got in first either plex would be assigned the first entity id or the play bar would be and they're completely different devices yeah so yeah i remember when they added in that prefix i was like yes thank you but yeah yeah, i think this is a good way to move forward well and, and and i think it's uh It definitely makes a difference
0: too, right? When now that they've moved over to kind of this entity um, database, essentially. So, you know, I find that entity naming is a lot better nowadays. um, Yes. Rather than just being like Plex One,
2: right? (laughs) And then, yeah. (laughs) All right, Zach. Uh, This is this is it. This is your time to shine. So, first, I think let's let's start from the beginning. So, we mentioned before that you have your uh, own blog, Uh, but I think. You're on the Home Assistant podcast. So when did you start using Home Assistant?
1: Yeah, um, I I think I I heard about it definitely a couple of years ago, um, but I hadn't really invested in too much home automation stuff yet. I I had just kind of moved into my house and um, I hadn't thought about it enough. Um, But I I would say seriously, uh, I I got into it about a year ago. I had poked poked around with it a little bit before that. But running it day-to-day, yeah, probably about a year ago. And um, I had a coworker who had mentioned it before, and he knew I was a Python guy and um, was just like doing these, you know, running these kind of open source projects and, and looking at this kind of stuff. So he mentioned it to me, and I was like, oh, yeah, I need to, I need to go look into that again. So uh, I think I just spent a weekend, got it up and running, and then slowly it it grew over time. That's awesome. That is awesome oh man
0: so so how many uh how many how many folks do you have in your um smart home
1: yeah so it's just uh my wife and i and then we have a uh four-month-old son so um we got two dogs too but so mostly it's my wife and i interacting with the home automation when we need to do something manual yeah your your four-month-old isn't like hey google do this
0: or... <laughs> not <laughs> not yet <laughs> That's right.
2: No, that did, did you have to change your house much when when the baby arrived? Um,
1: you know, not so much because I mean, we hadn't really done too much in the nursery area, so it's like mm-hmm. that room was there was nothing automated in that room and we ha- we honestly haven't added too much in there uh since he's since he's been around, but um yeah, we did we didn't have to change too much. We did add a uh We were looking at, you know, video monitors and all the sorts of stuff that people, you know, do with little babies. Mm. And so uh, we ended up just getting a ubiquity POE camera. And uh, I I just thought, you know, might as well use a POE camera and put it in his room. And then we don't need it there. I can just move it outside to somewhere more permanent rather than some one off baby monitor that, you know, we don't end up using after a few years. So,
2: yeah, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's a smart decision.
1: Yeah, that is that's uh,
0: it's 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 funny because that's yeah you always it's the same thing, right? Your your yeah. baby
1: monitor is a camera at the end of the day, so why not just get a camera? right? Yeah, just, I think some of the baby monitors do allow you to be a little bit more flexible with you know moving it around the room and stuff, sure. um, and I, and you can do that obviously with some other you know Wi-Fi based cameras, and but yeah, we we just put a PoE camera into the ceiling and thought. This has got pretty good coverage for his nursery. This should this should last us a while. Yeah, absolutely. Un- until until your kid turns fifteen, realizes that you used a <laughs> camera instead of a baby monitor, and so you're like, "Dad, yeah. that's
0: kind of weird." Yeah. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I think we'll get moved out to the outside of the house. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> before too long. But yeah, pre-baby realizing that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's, there's a camera watching,
0: while it watching sleeps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well welcome to, welcome to 2019 <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So what uh, do you have do you have uh, any uh, any way of primarily interacting with uh, with home assistant?
1: Is it like do you use voice or do you use um, yeah so we yeah we, we, we have um, some Google mini uh, devices so we use the Google Voice mm-hmm. assistant um, and we have Android phones too. So when we're doing something one-off, you know, we typically go through the voice um, there. Mm-hmm. I, I pull up the Home Assistant UI on my phone every once in a while to do something. But in general, that's that's how we go about things. You know, I think a lot of people have the opinion you should try to automate as much so you're not having to rely on those user interfaces, But um, yeah. which, yeah, totally makes sense. But, uh, you know, every once in a while you got to do something that, you know, to interact with everything. So, yeah, override or whatever, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, I get that. So Zach, you've got like, I'm I'm sure you've got an amazing setup. So how are you running like Home Assistant using (laughs) a Raspberry Pi? You must have like a whole server rack back there. Uh,
1: Yeah, I've got a, um, it's probably not as impressive as you think. I've got an old uh, desktop computer, probably at least 10 years old that I used to run Home Assistant and some other, you know, uh, services Mm -hmm. just for the house. I started on the Raspberry Pi, you know, trained like most people. Mm-hmm. Um, had an SD card failure at one point, bought a new SD card, was running on that for a while. I was like, you know, I have this other computer. I should really just migrate it over to that. And then, you know, spent a weekend getting everything running again and was, was, uh, happy. So,
2: yeah. So if you've got home assistant running on that, what else are you running on to, to manage your, your smart home?
1: Yeah. Uh, so home assistant, um, InfluxDB, like we talked about, Grafana, yep. you know, Mosquito, all the kind of standard stack of <laughs> Home Assistant uh, related services. We have Plex running on there too, and uh, I've got it a uh, Nginx reverse proxy set up so I can you know access all those things using a subdomain, and uh, yeah. It- uh, I don't know if you all heard of Bitwarden, the the password management thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just recently got that running there too. So just looking at different self hosted stuff, you can you know run on your own server, and it's been chugging along. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah,
0: a lot of these things don't take up too too much, right? So if, especially if you're using an old machine from.
1: 10 years ago or whatever it's mm. not the biggest uh yeah not the biggest deal and, and i'm running you know an ubuntu linux release so it's pretty lightweight and yep. um, everything's in docker container so you know it's pretty well isolated and easy to keep updated and managed so yeah yeah That's i cool. think it can be kind of um, a little intimidating at first for people who don't you know don't know about this stuff but um, once you get it all running it's it's pretty cool how flexible and easy it is to add more things, you know, update things, remove things. So that um, I think the Docker story is really nice for that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I I, I love it just for updating.
0: I don't yeah. have to deal with it. Just Docker pull.
1: Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and, and if, you're done. And if it really goes bad, you know, you just change the version number back and <laughs> oh, exactly. Kick, kick exactly. it down the road. <laughs> yeah, that that's it. So,
2: what are you? Have you got anything that you want to add that? For- to that stack that you you're planning on doing?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, nothing nothing crazy right now. I've got a bunch of um, Z Wave devices in my house, and I know there's like an open Z Wave to MQTT. Um, mm. Yeah, you know, uh, service. Um, I haven't tried that out yet or seen how how well it performs um, because I don't know if y'all use Z Wave too much, but it is kind of a pain when you restart Home Assistant that you got to wait for your Z-Wave network to boot up and all this um, stuff, so.
0: Yeah, so, so today your your Z-Wave stuff does run through Home Assistant, just, I'm guessing, on the Raspberry Pi or something? So.
1: No, I I have a USB, um, you know, Z-Wave stick, the Aotech, yep. you know, it gets recommended all the time. So that's running, uh, that's plugged into my server and I just... Um, Passing it through. Pass it through the container, yeah. So Cool. Yeah, so going forward, yeah, I could um, look at running on a Raspberry Pi with this open Z-Wave to MQTT and maybe putting it in a better location in the house too because, you know, Z-Wave is this mesh network where mm. you want to be close to the other devices and my yeah. server is not in a centralized place. So um, that's another kind of advantage you could see with that, you know, moving it to a centralized place and just exposing it over MQTT.
2: Yeah, because if you so using the mesh network, I'm guessing that all your, your motion sensors are going to have to go through eventually they're going to have to go through the same route like so if your uh server rooms at the back in the office then and at the closest thing to that is a you know a, a smart switch connected to your pc monitor for example eventually everything's going to get connected through that and that's going to be like your single point of failure and you know if there's no right. other route around it yeah you're going to get sucks. but moving uh it to a central point in the house those sensors that are battery operated could potentially connect straight to the coordinator which would make them a little a, a little bit faster as well
1: yeah mm-hmm. or just give them multiple uh routes to get back yeah. to the to the master uh node yeah yeah it makes it more reliable right so
2: i um i had a problem this week with my z-wave network i so i started off on the Aotech z-stick track as well yeah that was fine i found an absolute no uh, open z-wave fine it, it's it's good in that you know it's open source and all that, but there are some devices where it just doesn't work where I'd like it to, where I was expecting it to. So I uh, then I, I got home one day and the whole network, it was just done oh, on, that, no. it's on, the, on that USB stick. So I was like, that's it. I'm moving to a, a Vera. So uh-huh. I've I got a secondhand Vera Lite. And, you know, for one, another reason was, you know, for those slow restart times, you know, mm-hmm. now the Vera's on 24-7. And Home Assistant can just suck in the data from there. But this week, I, I came home one night uh, from work, and like half of the devices were just gone. So oh, I would yeah. walk into like the bedroom, and there's no bedroom motion sensor connected to the Vera anymore. And I was like, "Oh, yeah. you're joking!" I yeah, and like I was like, "Oh no, I'm gonna have to go around and repair everything." <laughs> um, yeah. I I was almost about to, but luckily the Vera takes backups every 24 hours, and I was mani- I managed to restore them uh, from that that was really lucky but yeah i then i started looking all right if i'm not gonna have to repair everything maybe i'll do something like z wave to mqtt and and just host it that way
1: yeah for the vera do you know if home assistant does it locally or does it go through like some vera cloud api to get oh
2: no it's all local
1: it's all local okay that's that's good at least then yeah that's kind of neat and i believe
2: it's um it might be WebSocket based or long polling sure. something like that because it's uh, like it's not checking for a device. Like Home Assistant isn't dialing Vera every thirty seconds. You know, have you updated something? So as soon as I walk into a room, there's a motion. Like Home Assistant knows about it pretty quickly.
1: Okay. Yeah. Cool. Hmm. That is neat.
2: So, so Zach, what uh, what do you use at home? Uh, like in terms of
0: what components? What like are you using Hue? Yeah. Are you in LifeX? Or like like what kind of stuff are you doing?
1: So yeah, I mean, I definitely have a fair amount of. Um, Z Wave uh, devices, so mostly smart switches. Um, okay, and uh, I, I recently played with some uh, an outdoor Z Wave uh, motion sensor and and stuff like that. So I think lighting wise, I'm mostly on the Z Wave train um, mm. for better or, or worse. Now, I I think Z Wave is one of those things where you kind of it's almost like every product you have to really research a bit. Yep. Um, mm. Even though it all works together, but it's it's it seems like some devices work better than others. Um, yeah, in, in theory, it all works together, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I've got a decent amount of Z Wave things, um, and then I like to you know tinker with a uh, Node MCU stuff, and uh, so I have some ESP Home based devices um, that that I've built that uh, talk to Home Assistant. From a camera point of view, I, I've gone the Ubiquity camera route. Mm-hmm. I think they're a little bit more expensive than some of the other cameras but i uh i liked that you could run their nvr software um self-hosted yeah so i, I think you can do it on a docker container if I'm from yeah mistaken. yeah they, they, i don't think they publish the docker container but there is a docker container out there that you know everybody runs yeah um, so that's kind of nice is that free yeah yeah
2: that's so. cool yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. totally they, I believe they, uh, they sell an NVR, but uh, I think the Docker container is, you could just
1: go grab it. Yeah. Nice. Now, I think too, though, that they're moving their next platform of uh, NVR stuff. It, they haven't released that as a Docker container yet or made the software um, publicly available. But yeah, right. historically, I think they've just released like a Debian package of uh, the old NVR software um, and someone made a Docker container out of it that, you know, runs fine. Cool. Yeah. Uh, And then I've got a uh, a Roborock vacuum, smart vacuum, which gets used all the time uh, in terms of another component, but mostly Z-Wave for lights and things.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Do you use the motion sensors inside for the lights? I haven't done motion
1: sensors inside yet. That's... uh, yeah, that's next step, I think. <laughs> to, yeah, yeah, to get the lights even better. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's one of my favorite things. Like you walk into a room and the lights just turn yeah. on. Yeah.
1: What what motion sensors are you using?
2: Uh, so I've got uh, the the AO ones. I've got the original uh, four in one. They're the very the big round discs. They just do four sensors. Mm-hmm. And then I've got the smaller, the brand new one, the six in one multi sensor, which is really tiny. Okay. Um, the the big one, the the 4-in-1 sensor, takes AAA batteries, which is uh, handy, but can also be um, powered through USB. I'm trying to slowly move them over to being powered where possible. Yeah. The newer 6-in-1 sensor uses that really, uh, I think it's C2531 or something mm-hmm. like that battery. They also um, claim two years battery life, but they have dialed down the reporting for like light levels and temperature down to once exactly. an hour. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so they claim two hours, but you only get those reports once an hour. And I use those sensors, uh, especially the brightness level. I need to know if the room's already bright because it's sunny, like, don't turn the lights on. But, right. you, know, it's, you know, once against the sunset, I can't wait an hour for that update to come through. Right. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so those sensors are, are fine. Once again, they're connected to the Vera, so uh pretty smart um pretty fast. As soon as you walk into a room, there might be a, a one or two second delay um before the lights turn on. But generally, yeah, they're fine.
1: Yeah, and I I've seen someone uh, I, I remember a while back on the home assistant uh subreddit um who used uh a POE uh switch to run a POE cable to their ceiling and then had like mm. a converter to five volts for you know power yeah. the sensor. So
2: yeah. Yeah, because all those sensors are just like USB powered. So yeah, yeah that would be easy to do. Yeah. yeah. You just gotta make sure you don't short anything accidentally.
0: Oh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I don't know if the um do those do you know if those um Z Wave devices act as repeaters then when they're powered like that or
2: Yeah. So when they're powered via USB. Uh, they will act as repeaters, but if they're um, battery, then no, they yeah, won't. Right, which which makes
0: sense because you don't want the battery to just constantly, yeah, be yeah, getting drained exactly. by acting as a mesh, right? So very cool. So so so, Zach, you mentioned you have a you have a four year old, uh, four month old. Sorry, have you? done any automations around him
1: or are you planning to or no nothing nothing crazy yet i mean we have some um kind of accent lighting in his nursery so that you know when my wife or i go in in the middle of the night you know we don't have the full lights on we have kind of some dimmed lights um but um nothing nothing too crazy yet um like i said the camera is in his nursery and um i have a little post on my blog about using a, a Raspberry Pi um, just as an RTSP viewer. Yep, so you, you know, you hook up the Raspberry Pi to your TV and you give it the list of RTSP streams. And um, so it's kind of convenient sometimes is when my nurse or my, my wife's back there, um, you know, trying to put him to sleep. I can kind of just turn on the TV to a specific HDMI input and, you know, check out, oh, is he asleep yeah. yet? Is she going to be coming up soon? Or should I go back there and help her, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. 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 Oh, that's great. Okay. So yeah, yeah I love that. It's, it's very practical uh, in terms of how you use it. Right. So
2: yeah, neat. And so you've done like a lot of projects with your ESP A26s. Yeah. Tell me about your sprinkler.
1: Yeah. So this was something I just, I, I just kind of wrapped up. Um, and uh, basically I was in the, you know, market to get a smart sprinkler system and looked around and obviously there's, there's actually a good amount of choices for, for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, just thinking about it, you really don't need something too crazy um, if you're planning on using home assistance. so, yeah, just use an ESP uh, Node to you in an eight channel relay and, um, and a little shift register to give, you know, more IO pins to the uh, node MCU and it just uses ESP Home to communicate with uh, Home Assistant, and then I I planned on um, you know with that you can improve the automation as much as you want in terms of when to water your yard. You know if you want to do it twice a week, you know for thirty minutes or whatever, you can do that. Uh, but then you can pull in all this nice weather data from Home Assistant to really fine tune. Um, when you want to water, you know, if it rained an inch yesterday, you know, don't water today. Kinds of things. So I've got a little bit of that right now. Um, it's definitely something I want to improve. Um, but yeah, the the sprinkler system works really well. It's just you know an ESP with with a relay. <laughs>
2: So is Home Assistant the brains for that sprinkler then? So yeah. when you mentioned it can do, you know, like the, you know, turn on the sprinklers for this amount of time, does Home Assistant control that or does the ESP do that itself?
1: Yeah. So I, I, for most of my projects, I really try to keep the logic on the individual devices as simple as possible. So mm-hmm. it, it's like what you're saying, all of the the logic is on Home Assistant to turn it on for 30 minutes and then turn it off. Right. Oh. I don't, If I want to change that timing, you know, I don't want to have to reflash the firmware on the ESP just to do something like that. So it's all scheduled from Home Assistant. I know someone commented uh, on the blog about, you know, you should probably add a max duration hard-coded into the ESP firmware in case, you know, Wi-Fi cuts out in the middle of a sprinkler session. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. and it never gets the turn off command. You know, you don't want to be yeah, that's what watering I was thinking. your yard all, all day. So that that's definitely some good feedback. Um, but in general, the home assistant is in charge of scheduling the, the watering.
2: And is the communication between the sprinklers and home assistant two-way? So, for example, if for whatever reason that module turns the sprinklers on, does it then say to home assistant, Hey, I've just turned this relay on. So now the home, now the sprinklers are running.
1: Yeah. So it's using the ESP home integration between Mm -hmm. the the known MCU and the, and the home assistant. So it's pretty bi-directional. I don't have any manual controls on the sprinkler, uh, controller. So, um, there's no way to actually turn it on without going through home assistant, which would Mm be something good to add, you know, just down the road. Um, I think it'd be nice to also add, like, a little LCD screen that just shows, hey, zone one is running right now or something like that. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's all, you know, bi-directional right now, just using the ESP home
2: stuff. Nice.
1: That's very cool.
2: I'm guessing you've got um, the Raspberry Pi and all that outside somewhere, like, in a, a box near the sprinkler, like, where the water's coming out of and all that to control everything?
1: Well, I just had an old sprinkler controller already. mm mm-hmm. uh, Right in my garage, um, that had all the wires coming into it already sitting there in my garage. So I just took that off the wall um, and wired each zone um, because there's basically a wire for each zone, right? Of your uh, nice of your system. Yeah. So I just wired that into each channel of the um, the relay board um, so that I could control each one individually. So it's it's a lot simpler than you would think. It's it's really just. A relay controlling, you know, which zone wants to be on at any time. Yeah, that's
0: really cool. Now, have you have you uh, run into any constraints about power and things like that? Like how where where your box is relative to power, or did you just like
1: say, "Hey, my outlets over here," so I'm just gonna well, the
0: put all this stuff over here. The
1: existing thing. sprinkler controller already was powered. You know, it's it runs off 24 volts AC. Yeah, so I did have to convert that down to five volts DC to run the note MCU yeah um, and the relays and stuff but power wasn't a big issue there just because there was already a outlet right next to where the existing wires were all coming into so
0: okay so that yeah. that's that was convenient and in, in do you think in theory it's possible to run it off of because sometimes it's like hey I don't want to call an electrician to well okay let me put it this way more selfishly because I was looking at I was actually looking at your post not that long ago <laughs> and I was like oh, I kind of want to do this and because I'm, I'm thinking of putting a sprinkler system out and uh so it's like if I can't get to it. In theory, it, it, is it possible to use like a lipo battery or something like that? And uh,
1: um, so, or, do you have an existing sprinkler system yet? Okay, I don't. know. Yeah. No. yeah. Um, I think the thing is all the re, all the um, the sprinkler valves, at least in my system, are all twenty four volts AC oh, that have okay. to be turned on, right, so that water will actually go through them, right? So you know, throughout your yard, you have all these valves, and they all in my case, I'll come back to my garage um, to be controlled there. So. so,
0: so they do need to go back to some. Yeah, see, I know, I know nothing about sprinklers. Yeah, this you is,
1: have to actually control <laughs> to, to turn on the sprinkler valve that's out sitting in your yard. You need 24 volts AC. So, got it. You're going to have to have power, you know, no matter no matter what. And and that's for the mechanism that makes it, you know, like pop up or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's my understanding from <laughs> fair working on it. Yeah.
2: Okay, so when cool. you had to convert the power down to five volts, did you split it? So like the 24 volts would remain where the solenoids go to, to control right, the water exactly. flow. And then, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Ah, fancy. That is cool. Yeah. It, it's, yeah it,
1: it was a fun little project. And the, the thing I liked about it too, was, you know, if you, if you, for whatever reason, you know, if you have 16 zones, those sprinkler controllers can get pretty expensive. If you start looking at the rain totally. and, and, uh, Rocky O's and all those guys. Um, whereas this is, you know, you buy another eight channel relay board for 15 bucks or something and another shift register, and you've got access to, you know, 16 zones now. So if you've got, you know, a bunch of land or, you know, yeah, yeah. More industrial setup, you know, you could definitely make use of it. It's very scalable.
2: That's very cool. That's good to know. It's, In terms yeah. of the solenoid locations. Where are they? Like, are they in the the garage? Like, there? Like, does all the water go to the garage, or are they out somewhere in your in the garden, where the the like the garden beds are, and they have the the valves out there to be switched over? I'm just thinking, like, how much cable is required to run out in terms of electricity to to seat, you know to tell each zone to turn on or off?
1: Yeah. So um, my house was built in the, in the seventies. Um, and so maybe it's different now, I, I have no idea when they put in the irrigation system, but yeah, everything is pretty much around the yard. So um, we have these boxes in the yard that have a cover that if you dig up, mm-hmm. you know, you'll ha- you'll see a bunch of valves a- and um, wire together and stuff like that. And then all that comes back to the garage. So you just have your controller um, sitting in the garage.
2: Right. right. Okay.
1: And I think they use, You know, it's 24 volts AC, and I think they use AC just because you're running over a long. Yeah, that was my my thought.
2: Yeah. Because you don't want to have to suffer too much voltage drop if it's a really long run out somewhere.
1: So it's pretty I think it's pretty typical to use uh twenty four volts AC for all these um sprinkler valves. Oh man, this is this is this is
0: how I'm gonna end up spending more money. Yeah. I, was, Go I, do it. <laughs> I, I was actually talking to a friend yesterday and I was like, Yeah, you know, I'm I'm thinking of doing this whole sprinkler thing because I, I wanna I wanna redo my backyard and yeah. you know, put a patio in and that kind of stuff. I was like, Yeah, I was thinking of doing this thing. And he's like, Oh man, you know, if something gets spoiled, it's so expensive, blah, blah, blah. And it's like I was like, Oh, okay, maybe not. Now I'm like, okay, now I kinda wanna do this again. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I I guess for you, since you don't have an existing system...
0: Yeah, well, it's going to be expensive. i got to dig (laughs) up and pay for the thing, right? Even if I do it myself,
1: it's a lot of work to put it in. (laughs) Yeah, luckily, mine was all working and ready to go. I just wanted a new smart controller. I I had an old, you know, controller-based, timer-based controller that I had no access to that, uh, yeah, I wanted to replace. I know,
2: I've just had a a brilliant idea. Like, Rohan, if you're going to redo your patio out the back... You, I don't know if they sell it, like how how hot are your summers like you uh, outside? It it can get hot. Like
0: I mean, on average, I'd say the higher side of things, at least where I am, is probably about thirty five on like the hotter days. I mean, it, it does go up one or two days to like forty, forty five, but that's that's atypical. I think right. Uh, right. More commonly, it's around you know. On average, it'll be somewhere between 25 to 35, let's call it. C- Celsius, not Fahrenheit, sorry.
2: Yeah, So, because obviously we get, you know, hot summers here in Australia. So I don't know if they, they may have them over there in, in, in Canada, but so in our local hardware store there, you have this like these outdoor terrace sprinklers that you can put in your roof, and they claim that they can drop the temperature, you know, yes. outside by a few degrees. So you could easily like put them up in your brand new patio area outside, and then have them automated through Whoa. a little ASP system, right? So if the that's temperatures, cool. if someone's outside and the temperatures are over a certain temperature, like, you know, just turn those sprinklers on, cool everything down, everyone gets spritzed. It would be the ultimate, yeah. you know, or you could even hook it up to Google Home or something. Hey, Google, you know, turn on the, the sprinklers out here. I'm hot.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even yeah. think of that. Yeah. We have a little patio area that's got, um, the previous owners have put up some, almost like PVC pipe for like mm-hmm. misting. Um, it looks mm. kind of better than PVC pipe, but it's, it's a, basically along the roof line where the gutters are.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yep. It, it, um,
1: we haven't used it that much. I, from what had, what happens to us is if you, we have a hose that can just hook up to it, right. And you turn on the hose and now the water goes through the misters, but the, the pressure is too low that you kind of get drenched. Oh, uh, so Yeah. <laughs> So it's less of, less of a mess, more of a drip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but, but there are, you know, you can buy, um, like, these pressure uh, pumps to, like, up up the pressure so that mm. you can actually right. get a finer mist and get cooled down more efficiently. But ha- haven't played with that yet.
0: Oh, that's, uh, yeah, see, now, this is, thanks, Phil, now i got to spend more money. It's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it,
2: yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Though. Why don't you automate, like, a little water feature? Like a little water pump? Like a, like a yeah, little like a fountain, fountain or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that. I don't know if my backyard's big enough for that. I, I As, you know, hmm. I, I I thought about it. It did it did uh, cross my mind, but I was like, okay, because then at that point now I got to expand what I'm doing, and that's money. <laughs> and then, yeah, but but it's it's yeah, and and again, like I said, it's your. I I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, and my perception, but it's, I feel like your backyard needs to be a certain size before you could do things like a like a
2: fountain or something like that. I guess it doesn't. Well, we'll do like a. Like I'm not talking like the Palace of Versailles here. Like, no, no, know, no. Like a, little, a modest drip, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm, nah, that's not a then bad idea. put an outdoor speaker out there and, and have some Zen music playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, my, my my own little temple. <laughs> exactly, there you go. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, really.
1: Yeah, home Assistant can detect when you're stressed out using some... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to get one
0: of those, you know, the connected, like, uh, they're not connected, but uh, they're like mood rings or whatever, which yeah, like change colors depending on how you're doing. <laughs> Just get like a light sensor that says, hey, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's red. So, <laughs> okay, here's <laughs> some Zen music or whatever. <laughs> that's funny. All right. Um, I think that's about it. I mean, Zach, I know I've been, I've been on your uh, blog a little bit and, you know, just reading around and, and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's awesome. So thank you uh, for putting all yeah. that information out there. And you seem to be uh, blogging more regularly than I, than I have, so. Also, kudos to you Try. for that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's fantastic. So we'll we'll leave the links and stuff in the show notes. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank on. you so much uh, yeah, you for taking the time exactly. out there. We appreciate
2: yeah. it. Cheers, guys. Yeah, cheers. cheers. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io That's h a s s podcast.io
0: The Home Assistant podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.